A warning, this episode includes profanity and discussions of violence. Hands Police brother. man, you're under arrest. What? Turn around, arrest your hands up. This is a video that Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost put out after a human trafficking sting this year. He's made the issue one of his top priorities during his time in office. But we're grateful to our partners, and we're looking forward to that day when no person is bought or sold in Ohio for sex. In press release after press release, the state AG's office claims the police rescued sex trafficking victims during stings. It's a way of showing the public they're fighting the problem. But the whole sting thing has been bothering me. If you go into a bust, how do you know if someone is a sex trafficking victim or a sex worker? And that matters because part of the way the state measures success is by how many victims they're able to rescue. Interviewing trafficking survivors is also a way for police to locate traffickers and then protect other people from being targeted. I wanted to talk with someone who has a lot of experience with stings. Sergeant James Mackey is the assistant director of the Cuyahoga Regional Human Trafficking Task Force. He walked me through a sting from the police perspective. Well, as much as he could tell me. You know, we don't want to give away the, the trade secrets, if you will. He told me police officers will pretend to buy sex by responding to an online ad. Then an undercover officer will pose as a buyer in a hotel room. Once the seller arrives and they exchange money, police can come in and make an arrest. And often the people arrested are upset and worried about what's going to happen to them. Uh, usually there's a lot of um, FUs. <laughs> Sometimes it can get very animated. Officers then start asking questions trying to determine if the person is doing sex work by choice or if they're being coerced by someone. But Mackie stressed that with all the fear and distrust, screening people for human trafficking is not a simple task. Now, the, the actual crime of human trafficking is hard to identify just from a two-minute conversation. This is something that's long-term. I'm Lila Goldstein, and this is our final episode of Trafficked from WYSO. In press releases since 2020, the AG's office has claimed that law enforcement identified 175 human trafficking victims during stings. And I wanted to find out if that was true. So I started to trace back where and how these victims were identified. I reached out to over a dozen different police departments and state agencies. I would ask them how many trafficking victims they identified in the stings, and they would respond with vague language. They'd say things like potential victims or suspected victims. One officer even called me back to ask me to explain what I meant by the term human trafficking victim. And then, on top of that, the numbers of victims the police departments told me they did identify were often lower than the numbers the attorney general's office had reported. The AG's office did not provide an explanation as to why the numbers didn't add up. I traced the cases of the people labeled victims to find out what ended up happening to them. The majority of the police reports I read didn't include evidence that the person was being trafficked. 
In several cases, the reports actually say that the person explicitly told police that they were not in danger and that nobody was taking money from them. These people were still called human trafficking victims by the AG's office. I did the math, case by case, and here's what's actually going on. Of the cases I verified with police, more than 80% of the people the AG's office called victims ended up arrested or charged. But there was one report I came across that stood out to me. It was one of the only ones I read that documented evidence that the person might actually be a trafficking victim. The woman said there was a man she was giving money to. He would be upset if she didn't come back with the cash, and she thought he could hurt her in the future. She was the kind of person that these operations were designed to help, where law enforcement was trying to do good. But then I got access to the police body cam footage of her arrest. In the video, the woman is handcuffed, and an officer is directing her to get into a police car. The woman asks to wipe her nose. You could wipe my nose, maybe? I don't have anything for you to wipe your nose. Get in the car. You can do it later, the officer says. Hey! She spits, hitting two officers with saliva. You just earned a fucking charge. I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah. You just earned a fucking charge. I hope you enjoyed that, another officer says. I think I have a spit hood in my bag. One officer takes out a spit hood. Yeah, she gets that shit for sure. Yeah, she gets to earn this. She gets that shit for sure. She gets to earn this, two officers say to each other as one prepares the spit hood for her head. She was later found guilty of soliciting and was sentenced to 60 days in jail. Rescue in Ohio can look like handcuffs, spit hoods, jail time, or court dates. This was not the heroic picture painted in press releases and videos. I'd been looking into the spread of misinformation about human trafficking for months. And now I saw that the state wasn't just using misleading statistics. It was also sometimes misrepresenting to the public how it was going about saving the victims it said it was concerned about. What did rescue mean for them? Are you Crystal? Yeah. I'm Lila. Crystal Gibson was arrested for soliciting this year. Like so many others, the AG's office claimed she was rescued in a human trafficking sting. She says she was not being trafficked. In fact, she wasn't working with anybody at all and hadn't told anyone that she was even doing sex work. We meet up at a park in a small town in southeastern Ohio. She walks over in her workout clothes from where she's been staying with her mom nearby. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. She's 36 now, but started smoking crack when she was 17 and has struggled with addiction ever since. She got into sex work to support her addiction, handing her earnings over to drug dealers. But in August 2020, she decided she wanted to get sober again. She started drug treatment and moved into a sober living program in Columbus. I was doing good. I was in sober living and I was seeing my family every other weekend and my mom was starting to let me see the kids and then it was November and I started started, um, fretting because Christmas was around the corner. She had always bailed out on her kids during the holidays. This year, she wanted to show up big and prove that she could take care of them. But with her criminal history, 
she thought the only job she could get would be minimum wage. She says she tried donating plasma for money, but was turned away. That's when it clicked in my head, like, Crystal, you sold yourself and got, gave all your money away to other people. Why can't you sell yourself and keep the money and, and benefit from it and have your family benefit from them, but not tell no one? She started selling sex sober for the first time. Nobody was taking money from her, and it was her choice. Within two weeks, she says she had enough money to buy a used car. Um, I did show up at Christmas for a present for each, more than one present for each one of my kids. I spent about 100 on each kid, and then I did my mom, my dad. Uh, I have a license suspension through the BMV. I was able to make a couple few hundred uh, payments on that. I was able to pay car insurance. Um, I was just able to do the things that I wanted to do. Then, in January, she gets a text asking about one of her ads. The buyer is in a suburb of Columbus, and she heads over to the hotel. I just start stripping my clothes off. I take my shoes off. I take my pants off. Um, I have my underwear off. All I have on is a bra and a shirt. And he's standing there just, like, kind of staring at me, and he was like, um, he said, it's full service, right? I said, yes, it's full service. He said, it's going to be 120 he lays down the money and then goes to the bathroom. And as soon as he went in the bathroom, the door flung open. The cops came in. They like told me to put my hands behind my back. Uh, and I'm standing there naked. I said, can I put my clothes on? They're like, yeah, you can put your clothes on. They handcuff her, ask her some questions, and give her a summons. Within a few days, Crystal says she was back to work. I started thinking, I got to make more money. I got to get more money. This is going to, this charge is going to cost me money. And if I don't have the money to pay for an attorney, and if I don't, have money to pay court costs, they're going to put me in jail anyway, so I might as well just continue doing it. But just a month later, she's caught in another sting and gets another summons. And that bust is the one that puts her over the edge. Soon after, she says her sober living program finds out about her charges, and they tell her in order to stay, she'll have to be under strict restrictions. No more overnight visits with her kids, lots of staff supervision. And that same day that they confronted me was the day I left. She says she starts using drugs that day. The next couple months is, is rough. I'm living on the streets every day, all day, from the time I wake up till three days later when I'm still up. That's all I'm doing is, is prostituting. I'm prostituting and getting high and drinking. She says her run-ins with the police derailed her sober, independent life, where she was trying to support herself financially. I was back to giving my, all my money to someone when because they controlled me. They controlled me with the drugs, so. My big question is like, like what was the impact of these uh, stings on your life? Honestly, uh, it was a negative impact. It didn't do anything to benefit me other than having another criminal charge on my record and it took me back down the same road that I left the first time. Um, and it was just agony, misery. Uh, it's been rough. I had Gibson read the press release the AG's office put out the day after her sting. Okay, Central Ohio Human Trafficking Operation rescues eight. What do you think of, like, just them saying rescues eight? Like, that includes you. That was, you were one of those eight people I looked up. Uh, you know, what do you think of that? Um, I didn't need rescued <laughs> at the time. So I wasn't being human trafficked. 
I was basically soliciting um, for money to support myself because of my criminal background. I'm able to get a decent job. So, and now they've added to my criminal record. I didn't feel rescued, so. Gibson tells me she's taking it one day at a time, trying to be a better version of herself. She's staying with family and plans to start a new sober living program. And every day that I wake up and and I tell myself that I'm just going to stay sober just for today because um, if I look too far into the future, I get get confused. So I'm going to stay in the moment, so... First tonight, the Ohio Attorney General announcing the results of a sweeping human trafficking sting that involved 91 law enforcement agencies across the state. Operation Ohio Knows led to the arrest of 161 men trying to buy sex. Three of the cases involved kids. Local, state, and federal investigators went uncovered to find human traffickers and their victims. The week before this episode was set to be released, the AG's office announced there'd been another statewide sting operation. A few local news outlets got exclusive access to cover it as it was happening. I wasn't invited. This is the largest uh, human trafficking sting in the history of the state. At the press conference at the State House, I had the opportunity to ask Attorney General Dave Yost a question. I told him about the research I'd done, tracing all those cases, and that I'd found that a majority of the rescued victims from his stings ended up arrested or charged. And I'm wondering, do you see a problem with that? And is that also the case with this sting? So uh, thank you for the question. And this is actually a debate um, within the community that um, works with survivors of human trafficking. He said a year ago, he would have said victims need to be arrested to help them navigate their recovery. But as I've gotten to know survivors that didn't come through the system or came through the system and had difficulties, I've realized that it's a much more nuanced conversation. Uh, But I think everybody in the conversation that is actually familiar with this work recognizes that there are many, many roads to recovery, and they don't all look alike. Frankly, I was surprised to hear him soften. To hear him say he was moving away from his hardline approach of arrests being necessary to help victims. Maybe this was a sign that the state was actually going to stop busting sex workers and then heroically claiming it was rescuing trafficking victims. But then again, the AG's office had just announced that 50 people were arrested for selling sex during the sting. They put out this video. We fight against human trafficking in Ohio every day. We just completed our largest operation ever. Yost's office said it didn't know how many of those 50 people might actually be trafficking victims. So maybe things aren't really changing. This series was reported and written by me, Lila Goldstein. Editing by Ashley Ahern. Our managing producer is Jason Saul. Chloe Murdoch contributed research. Juliet Fremholt was our digital manager. Artwork for the podcast was done by Kayla Freeman-Haynes. Thanks for listening and supporting WYSO, local public radio from Yellow Springs, Ohio.